Hello, welcome to Love Food, Hate Money, the show where we talk about how much we love food and we prove it by spending all of our money on it. I am your host, Jonah. This is going to be co-host Courtney. Hey. And today is sponsored by Bundaberg. Bundaberg. Not really sponsored. It'd be nice if we had a sponsor, but today we're drinking Bundaberg. Ginger beer. It's part of our alcohol-free January. Yes. Mostly alcohol-free. Mostly alcohol-free. We'll see. We'll see how we do. We're doing... We've cut back. Our cut back alcohol intake pretty dramatically January. Um, Specifically, like, purchasing it. It's expensive to just, like, kind of keep stockpiling it. Like, we're going to have some sort of shortage at some point. We're preppers, but in the worst way. Yeah, it's a bad prep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, Bundaberg ginger beer. Um, This falls on the tails of us being... Costco people now, so they had this in mass, and it's it was only like a dollar or so a bottle. It's usually like three dollars a bottle if you buy it. Like if you get the four packs at Fry's or where they're more readily available, it's like twelve dollars. But yeah. this was like fifteen dollars for a twelve pack, so that was that's not a dollar a bottle. One, my math skills are showing, and two, <laughs> um, significantly cheaper than normal. So nice to have around, and it's delicious. It's so good. It is the best parts of ginger ale with the spicy and everything, but it's not as sticky sweet. It's balanced a lot better. Yeah. I think it's the actual yeast in there. It's funny. It's non-alcoholic, but it also does have yeast in it. And I wonder how much farther in the brewing process it would have to go to actually have a notable amount of alcohol that would need to be discussed. But yeah, Bundaberg beer, but but ginger beer. I love ginger beer. This one's not as spicy as, um, what's the one really spicy one? Uh, The local one is really obnoxious uh big marble is yeah a local tempe ginger beer that is a, spicy. it gives me heart like it does it's spicy enough from the ginger that it actually like emulates heartburn for me there's one i think it's called like cock and bull or something too yeah it's really I don't know spicy if I've, had cock and bull. I've had it a couple times and it's like pretty intense interesting but i love this especially like if my stomach doesn't feel good or if i just don't feel from- good Came from the I came from a ginger ale house. Poison house. So this is just comforting. Sure. It's nice. I would love a nice little squeeze of lime. A little pour of Wouldn't we all? rum. <laughs> Dark and Stormy is the first like. That's my first true love cocktail. Yeah. We used to drink a lot of those because there was a, our favorite cocktail bar had them as a part of the just $7 happy hour menu back when we were working a place where happy hour was a thing. Oh man. The days. Office days. So, today... We discuss our treasured movie. Our new favorite movie. And we have to just say, like, spoiler alert, if you've not seen the menu yet, don't listen. Pause right here. Go watch the movie. Mm -hmm. Come back. If you don't have HBO Max, just spend the $10 to get it for a month and then cancel it. Watch this movie. It's very good. It's worth it. (laughs) <laughs> we're obsessed. We watched it last night and we can't stop talking about it. And I'm we sad can't we didn't stop see it in about theaters it. because I think seeing it with a group of people also would have been a good experience. Oh, there's like, I think you named probably three or four people that you said, oh, I wish we were watching this with so-and-so. Even beyond that, just watching it with people that might not be as interested in food because we're definitely one set of characters in the movie, unfortunately. <laughs> Oh, so... It's a cautionary tale. There's cautionary tales riddled throughout the movie. And it was a love-hate letter to the industry as a whole. And it was perfect. It was so perfect. Do you want to give a brief synopsis of just the premise of the movie? Sure. They go to a special island getaway 
book your tickets in advance, a la Noma restaurant experience, and they go to this private island where they're doing all the foraging. So they get there and they show <laughs> they show off where they're doing the fishing. The crazy foodie guy waves at the fisherman. He's like, those are our scallops we're going to have today. Oh, my God. Yay. He does that. They show them their living quarters. Some of the people are like, "Does he, do, you, do you get burnt out living here? <laughs> and that's foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's very much like a chef's wet dream of an island and a restaurant because it's like we're a complete ecosystem. All our food comes from here. Like, here's our smokehouse. Here's our pasture. Yep. Very. This club has everything. (laughs) Exactly. And then they get to the restaurant, which is just gorgeous. It's a really beautiful space. I wonder what they, that's one of the things that we didn't look up. is Where it was filmed. I mean, it was filmed in Georgia, but I wonder if there's an actual, like, restaurant that they were, I mean, it was a, looked like a real kitchen that they were working out of. I wonder if there's a real awesome shipping container shaped restaurant with crazy (laughs) wood structures that they're actually working out of. But And then they start to kind of feed you little bits of the stories of the characters that are going to dine at the restaurant. And they start to tell you about like, oh, this chef has a chef's table episode and he's like the best in the world. I've seen his episode 20 times. Yeah, and they really make him out to be... You know, every chef's goal. He's the guy. He's the one that they're all trying to be. They're, he's the the whole thing. Just reminded me a lot of Noma as a whole. So I yeah, I can him see that. Almost like a Red Zeppi character. Renee so, was like so nice and he's a sweet like little man. so genuine in what he's doing. Whereas this is like the other extreme of like knowing the power that he has as the chef and is like taking that to the next level. Yeah. So I think, I mean, but the structure-wise of like we all live here, we, we all, all live work here. From, what was it like? We get up at seven to forge mushrooms, and then we no, work till two in the morning, and then two, and then four hours of sleep, and then back at it. Yeah, which is not far off from a lot of those internship, externship, live in the three-month stage of a three Michelin star restaurant hui. Yeah, totally. I think the best part of the movie, I mean, there's so many good parts of the movie, but I think the part where there's the most to unpack are the character archetypes. The diners, The diners themselves, and how that is the core of the movie, and that is also the menu. Yes. Yeah. That's the menu. That's the menu. They're the menu. Well, you know what's so funny is when I saw ads for this movie, I thought it was like a cannibalism restaurant. Straight up thought it was they were eating people. That's Why did all I, I think that? I, I think I said that's what it was, and I don't know why I thought that. <laughs> it was so far from that. And if I'm, I'm anybody, so glad it wasn't that. It was incredible. I mean, also, like, when we talked about it in the, the smokehouse with the dry aging, and they talked about how long they were dry aging things, you were like, that could be how long you dry age people. <laughs> yeah. I thought that part was funny because they were like, we dry age everything 100. There was, this movie was top notch. There was, like, three things that happened in it where I was like, that's just not how that works. Part of me wonders if that's the joke, though. Yeah. Because I think everything in it was so clever, and the people they had consulting on the movie wouldn't let them get get away with that bullshit. Yeah, unless they did it intentionally, which they could have done. Either way, it was... The character archetypes, though, I think, are the most important thing to jump in on because they exist in every single restaurant. Everyone. I have been working in restaurants, and they just feed 
everything that is right and wrong with the movie and the industry, and it is perfect. The first is the foodie <laughs> and his uh, escort for the evening. I thought Nicholas Holt was so good in that role because I hated him so much. Yeah, Nicholas Holt is... I mean, that is the character that he does well. It's like <laughs> cute, quirky, geeky, but also Annoying as absolute how. piece of trash. <laughs> deserves everything that happens to him. Oh, I love him. So I there was good casting there. Um, he <laughs> there probably made me the most uncomfortable is the I think every character in the movie is a cautionary tale. Yes. Of that is like what the restaurant industry people hate and that is what causes them to break um and he was probably the one that i i heard echoes of myself in the most <laughs> so that's spooky uh um, what do you mean just the way that he was like oh and this is how he's doing this and that's exciting is that a paco jet chef like <laughs> stuff like that right like, he's like i have a paco jet and we're like we, we have, have a, a paco, paco jet, jet. <laughs> we're all paco jets down here um he yeah, there was a couple lines in the movie where I was like, I would probably say something like that in my little excitements. So Yeah, and I think to give more context for that character, he was the guy that was the foodie. He was the one that sought out these experiences. He would spend any amount of money to eat at this restaurant. He had been in correspondence with the chef for eight months. He really cared if the chef liked him or not. Like, very much <laughs> like the, a groupie. And... I think almost with one of the things that they really pointed out is they said, you know, don't take pictures of the food. And he kept taking pictures of the food on his phone. Mm -hmm. Like kind of that almost influencer type, like this is a status symbol for me to eat here. I have to show people I have to fully be emerged in this. Make it more, constantly making it more than what it is, but also like, I don't know. Well, he was basically like, this is my Super Bowl. Yeah, but even more than that, it was such a funny, they did such a good job with his character and being like, he is everything that's wrong with the, I have to post every single thing, every single time, like. He reminds me of someone that we ate with at Noma that was like, oh, and I wonder if this is how they're doing this. And I wonder how this is doing, they're Mm -hmm. doing this. Mm -hmm. And so I think there was almost like a little bit of trauma response to his character. Yep. That whole, that was great. And then he brought with him someone that wasn't supposed to be there, who is also the hero of the movie. Yes. The character's name was Margot, and she was played by Anya Taylor-Joy. She's good at chess, and she's good at, that is the same actress, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, the Queen's Gambit. Queen's Gambit girl, yeah. Um, great actress. I really like her. She did wonderful. In the, like, the, every everybody did great. Uh, all the roles are perfect. Their characters were perfect for what they needed to be and the stories that they needed to tell mm-hmm. about restaurant people. But essentially... And their place in the menu. Right. We find out that he was supposed to bring his girlfriend to eat there. She had dumped him between the time he made the reservation and the time that they got to have this dinner. Right. Which and is so, important because everything of that night was planned, super planned and so curated. Planned. It was a very planned menu. Which really feeds into that like perfectionism that chefs like chase when they're doing that kind of level of dining. Mm-hmm. And so we we come to find out later on that she's also a service industry, but her services is as an escort. She's she, she, an older service. So he had hired her to go to dinner with him. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And the, when they revealed that he knew, should we get into that? Or is that too spoilery? Is everybody going to watch it? I don't know. You know what, guys? We're going to talk about it because this blew my mind. And it's on you. We said spoilers. <laughs> spoilers again. We're just going to talk about the movie. The fact. Through and through. That he knew that after eating this meal, the foodie guy, that they were going to die. Mm-hmm. And he hired her, bringing her knowing full well she was going to die. Yep. Blew my mind. That made me so angry. And it was funny because it was with a reckless abandon of not caring about anything else other than getting to eat at the restaurant. Because he explicitly says, well, you wouldn't do reservations for one. So I had to have a reservation for two and bring a second person. But she finds out and she tr- jumps across oh, the table to try God. and kill him oh, herself. Oh, my God. Um, that just was nuts to me. So we have them as one of the couples. That's one table. Another table. She's tangentially connected to yeah. a table over from them. Yes. the old, I have them li- listed as the old couple that doesn't give a piss. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that stereotype because it is like the old people that just have money and keep eating at the same restaurant over and over, even though they really don't give a rat's ass. They don't care at all. And there's not too much more fleshed out other than that it's frustrating in general, where it's people with enough money that they can just grossly throw it at things and not, and there's people with plenty, like I've worked at restaurants with those people with money and they, they do actually care like, oh, I love this dish and we'll talk to you about it. There's a, the whole other demographic of that other side of that coin where it's just people mindlessly throwing money without any true care in the world. And that is one of the things that causes the chef in the movie to break. Well, I think there it's twofold, right? Because he points out the fact that the husband had also hired the same escort at one point and cheated on his wife. And yeah. that was a thing. And they, when they were seated in the restaurant, because there's only five tables that were in that restaurant, um, they had, he was like, oh, let's shuffle. Like, I'm just going to have put my back to this person. It's going to be fine. Don't worry about anything. Uh-huh. And then when they eventually maim the man, <laughs> cuts off his wedding wedding band finger so funny well i think for them like it's more of the the privilege is why the chef was angry with them right where it's like you have all this money you have the privilege you get to sit in these seats where other people would love to sit and you sit here and you don't care yeah that was a thing where you considered like he said specifically you've eaten here 11 times name one of the dishes well and yeah (laughs) it was halibut you donkey yeah, well, they were like, uh, cod, and they were like, halibut, and he goes, and they were like, what does it matter? And he's like, it matters to the halibut. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I, yeah, I think that is the main point that the chef makes. So the the movie is that they are the menu, that is the through and through, like, there's little bits and pieces where there's actual dishes being served, and we could probably go on another 30 minutes oh about how gosh. clever each quote-unquote dish was. So smart. Um. But yeah, the the old uh, couple, their his main sin, the reason that they had guilt and were a part of the scenario was the fact that he was like, lots of people consider themselves lucky to eat here once. You've right. Been here X times and don't. Doesn't matter. Know what's to you. happening? Yeah. This is your <laughs> this is your sin. Ooh, I wonder. You could probably break it down and really look at everything and be like, the seven deadly sins were all represented in the diners. Probably. Um. What table do you have next on your list? Um, let's jump back up to the top. Um, one of my favorites, because um, this 
But it was the movie star, his assistant. Because <laughs> he didn't have a name, and that's the best. That Yeah, he didn't have a name, and that was funny. And that's probably one of the restaurant's archetypes that I've dealt with the most is the person who's like, I know the guy. I know the chef. I know the chef. I love the story you told one time when a customer told you they knew the chef, and they said he, and they kept misgendering. Yeah. You're and like, they were like... I, we know the chef is he in, or like, well, he's a lady, so... <laughs> Uh, so I don't think but you I've, know him. I've dealt with the, I know the owner, I know this person. I have seen and, and had that interaction so many times that that one was really just pure funny to me. Well, and I love too when the girl he was there with kept saying, go talk to him. You said you know him. You said you know him. And he was just like, I'm a name dropping whore. <laughs> I don't know him. I don't know anything. <laughs> what I do. Um, I also, I can't remember that actor's name, but I also just love that he's in food movies. Yeah, he was also in Chef. Um, yeah. He's a great actor. He was also, um, he plays Bruno in Encanto. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great we actor. I can't remember his name. I feel really bad, but. But they, that was, uh, they were funny. The, when the chef, the chef confronts everyone with what their, what their transgression is, yeah. essentially, of what they have done to earn their place on the menu. For the girl, it was you said it was one of your favorite parts oh, it's of the so movie. It's so funny. He just looks at her and says, "Where did you go to school?" Well, Brown. she was like, "Why me?" Yeah, she's because she was trying like, to "I'm out. not him. Like, I'm just here because I was his assistant." Like, right. And he's like, where, "Where'd you go to school?" Brown. Student loan debt? No. You're on the menu. He's <laughs> like, "You're dying. <laughs> you're you're dying." <laughs> Which I just that's so funny to me. Um, That's a good joke outside of, like, the normal context of a lot. There's so much in this movie that made us laugh. Honestly, you could break this movie down scene by scene and probably still have more to talk about because it was just so well done. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's see. I think that summarizes their Yeah, I mean, that was really... Well, his whole thing was just, like, I'm a name dropper, I'm a movie star. Well, and then also the chef basically told him, I had one day off. And I chose to see your movie. <laughs> and it was the worst movie. It sucked the life out of me. And seeing your face makes me, like, irrationally angry. So that's why you're dying. Yeah. And that is so funny because if you think about it, right, like, people in the industry, especially chefs like that, they don't get a lot of free time. Yeah. So to spend their free time watching a shitty movie, like, yeah, that might make them murderous. <laughs> well, it was funny, too, because I think it also was a bit of projection because he has also gotten to a point where he didn't enjoy cooking anymore. Yes, and he, he did didn't say that want as well. to see the actor just taking on any old phoning it in. Phone it in role like that there was his sin was both being in a bad movie and then also the chef was able to sort of project out like this is terrible. You gave up on your craft in the way that like I'm uninspired by mine now too. Mm-hmm. Which is something that happens pretty frequently in the industry. Um, as far as as far as burnout goes, I think the movie is funny because the, uh, the especially the last course, like the whole the the fact that they foreshadow the whole thing with asking, "Does anyone get burnt out?" And yes. then end in a uh, s'mores roast. Oh my god! Incredible. Um, let's see. Beyond that, got them. I think the next. I, I'll say my favorite for last. So we'll go finance the, bros. We'll go on to the finance bros next. Yeah. So it was basically a table of three guys who were like, do you know who we work for? Like that was their whole thing. And they worked for the 
quote, angel, angel investor. Investor of the restaurant. The person that, quote, unquote, owned the show. He's like, more or less owns me, I guess. But I guess I own him now. <laughs> Just has him strung up and angel wings outside. And then drowns him. <laughs> Oh my goodness, incredible. So dark, so funny. I also funny. loved it when they got the goodie bags at the end, which is very typical of like really high-end restaurants. And there was like a finger from... Yeah, the, yeah. Like, <laughs> and everyone gets a fi- gets one of the invest- Varric's fingers in their bag. So <laughs> twisted. The movie was twisted. And oh, it was so dark. It was so dark. Just, com- it was twisted in comedy. But and- I feel like we laughed through most of it. I think if... Well, we laughed through most of it because I mean it was I think it's aware like it calls itself a satire, right? But the way that they that it they go about it is just brutal, so good. Well, and even just um, what was I think it was the one of the first dishes I think maybe the third course where he talk he tells a story and he's standing over his mom who's drunk at a table by herself at the front. and he's talking about how his dad came home drunk and was trying to kill his mom. and so he stabbed. Stabbed him in the thigh. In the thigh with kitchen shears. So the first dish that comes out is chicken thigh that's stabbed with scissors. Yeah, it's a chicken al pastor with scissors in it, which is so funny. And just like, <laughs> that's funny. so fucked up, but like. And thoughtful. Well, if you think about when some of the restaurants you go to and the, oh, I was inspired by this, like they literally just took that trope and went, what is the darkest thing yeah, this child could have experienced? That was the third or fourth course because the first course. Well, they did the amuse uh, on the boat. Then they did the scallop course, and then I think it was the... No, they did bread course next. Which oh, bread course. Bread course, no bread, echoes back, like what a, it circles back to the food guy, which he was eating that up. He was like, the chef is so forward-thinking, and the girl that he's with, the uh, Margot, she was just this like... This is bullshit. This is stupid. He's literally la- like, he's making fun of you at this point, which is very true when restaurants go so meta that they circle all the way back around and they're just giving you a middle finger where they're like, you'll just eat anything. You'll do any, like... You'll do anything for me. It, it's so funny. It's so aware. You're right. Yeah. So I think it was the third course for the chicken thigh, but it was just so twisted, but it made so much sense. Mm-hmm. Let's see. And then the finance bros... Finance bros. We're still talking about that. You, they're, you really got a sense of who they were like the bread course, they were like, "Oh, can't you just like you know slip us some?" And he's gluten free. Can you get? Can we get some gluten free? And they were just like, that one? "She was like, no, this the woman who was front of house. I don't know the character's name. Phenomenal. The girl that she more or less played like a maitre d because she yeah. was the host slash helped serve slash facilitated front of house. Other than the sommelier, she was terrifying. She did her role. So can I have this? No. Can I do this? Mm, oh, no. and what did she say to the one guy? You're gonna eat less than you want, but get more than you deserve, or something. <laughs> yeah, like, oh. you're gonna eat less than you desire and get more than you deserve, and he <laughs> just sits there like. <gasps> and this is already after someone had un unalived themselves in the. Yeah. No, that was not till course four. Is that the fourth course yeah. of the mess? Yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. But oh the, the reason we find out that the finance bros are just miserable, other than the fact that they work for the evil angel donor, is that... <laughs> other than the fact that they're finance bros, and I think that says enough. That's enough. They, in the course with the chicken thigh, they do these laser-printed tortillas, which is just a hysterical thing. 
to do. This is the first time you've used this technology. Is this evening? You get a trial run, and then he puts everyone on blast with those pictures. So funny. So he puts on their tortillas um, spreadsheets of how their company is lying about their finances and basically Mm -hmm. committing fraud. Yeah. And they're like, how did you get these? Like, these tortillas could hold up in court, and they start freaking out. It was just like, oh, well, your sins are pretty obvious. You're like, you're bad people because of your money, and you're even getting your money badly. Like, you're... You're not entitled to anything when you're literally stealing from people. You will, you will get you will get less than you desire and more than you deserve. Such a good line. Such a good line. Um, is there anything else about them that stands out? No, they just suck. Hated them. They're the... <laughs> I was like, they... I, it, that I mean, was kind of the funny thing. Is it was, everyone. you really didn't care. if You wanted Margot to survive yeah she and was like she, she was one person where you're and uh, they do such a good job of talking about like the chef I, I, I feel like we should just we could talk about this movie scene for scene and just be in awe of it because the, that- the way that he early on in the movie is a side of like you're not supposed to be here you're not one of them you're not on the menu and this he is realizes not- that's not even her real name yeah he's like no who are you be like it's margo be like that's not no, you're not, not a Margo. I've known him a lot of Margos, and you're not one. Yeah, so to be aware that that's, like, not even her real, which is the only name we get for her the whole movie. No, they but say like, it's, it's, she says it's Aaron when it's all the women at the table during that scene. Does she? Yeah. Oh, my gosh, I missed that entirely. Oh, my gosh, the men running away. Oh, so funny. So good. I think this might have to be two parts. Probably. We can just go over the characters and then maybe go over <laughs> some other things later on. The other favorite scenes. You know what's so funny is, like, I self-identify as a non-movie person. Like, I really don't care about movies. I usually fall asleep. Like, I'm just kind of terrible at talking about movies, watching movies. I was so engrossed in this movie and want to watch it again because I feel like I didn't get it all. Yeah, this is, uh, I think, a good gateway movie for you. Between this and then watching Banshees of <laughs> last week, I'm a I'm a movie well, guy this year. The side quest this year is I'm actually a, this is a movie podcast. We're a movie critic podcast. Uh, we're only watching movies where they cut off fingers. Yeah, <laughs> if you have, if anyone has a recommendation for movies where people lose fingers, I'm I'm here. We'll for watch it. it. Otherwise, we're not doing it. 2023 fingerless movies. <laughs> so you, the last table, the last table, which honestly is the critic. The craziest shit. The critic and her assistant echo chamber. Well, he was from the magazine. Yeah, her little echo, whatever the heck he was, his little echo chamber. Enabler, he was the enabler. Yeah. Oh my goodness, the way that they wrote, the the way that they wrote her in conjunction with the foodie, Holt's character, and how they were interacting with each other throughout the movie, being like, well, everyone else just doesn't quite get it early on and then once stuff really goes to hell they're like well like holds character the whole time is still eating he's like it's delicious and you're like someone just died well he and it's like he is oblivious to what's going on around him yeah he's oblivious to well, think, everything that actually matters i even think back to just a recent night at work you had when a server had to leave for a medical emergency and the customer's still just being like Man, we haven't been served and it's like well someone just had to go to the hospital yeah so <laughs> and that was his character was just like it's about me and my experience and my yeah it's about this moment this experience right like, here right now oh oh my goodness so good but the critic lady though Miss Bloom. Oh, Miss Bloom. She uh, she was the one that put him on the map. 
So she was essentially the reviewer. It was all her. Nothing to do with his skill or anything. And he was like, I wonder what map that would be. (laughs) (laughs) But it was not it was not his own credentials that got him anywhere. His ability. It was she put him on the map. She wrote about him. And she also had a similarity with the name dropping with the with the movie star because her whole thing was like, oh, well, he texted me specifically for tonight's meal, so I have to make an appearance and just loved the attention. Uh-huh. And then their tortillas had on them all of the restaurants she had written bad reviews about that had closed. Mm-hmm. And I think that that, like, we could talk about restaurant critics for an hour because this is such an interesting thing. And we have really looked up to, um, rip to the King, Jonathan, Goldman. Jonathan Goldman, Goldman, Goldman. I believe. Yeah, that's right. Um, is, is it gold? I think it's just gold. Is it? Well, well I say on. we really look up to him and that we don't know his name. You might be right with it. Just Jonathan gold. Yeah, yeah. Jonathan, Jonathan gold. gold. I don't know where I was getting the man from. Maybe because he is the man. He is the man. Jonathan Um, Gold, Rip to the King. Sadly, he has passed away, but his whole philosophy is he didn't write bad reviews. Mm -hmm. He was more of a restaurant advocate than he was a restaurant critic. Um, We have been fortunate enough. We got to eat at Gitlada, which was one of his favorite restaurants um, in L.A. that he really highly reviewed Mm -hmm. and loved. And it was phenomenal. Like... Yeah. Dude knew what he was talking about. And this is just also to the best of our knowledge. So I know he might have been different earlier on it, his career. In early career, yeah. But by the, the, by end, the end of his of it, career, he, he was an advocate. really seemed to be more of an advocate for smaller restaurants and the strip mall heroes and true, like, L, like where to eat in L.A. and not where to go for a white tablecloth meal and get that Michelin star experience. But, like, no, this is where, like, if you're in L.A., you should eat here because this is what L.A. people eat and just advocated for He was a champion places. for the community. Yeah. And much better. And if my understanding, too, toward the end of his uh, career and life is that his, like, it, it could have been his entire philosophy through and through, but to my knowledge, won't speak in absolutes, but, like, he, his main thing was not saying bad things about people. Like, he, if he didn't like a restaurant, he just wouldn't talk about it. And I think that's something that we've tried to emulate through what we do is not, like, well, if we have a bad experience, we're not going to name names, like... Maybe I just didn't like the dish, but we're not going to yuck anyone's yum or attempt not to yuck anyone's yum. But we will actively just, like, (laughs) I hated that thing. But if you like it, that's okay. You should still go try and support it if you like it. Well, I can't fathom being in the position to write something so scathing that it takes away people's livelihoods. Mm -hmm. Like, that to me is just, it's so sad and gross and cringy. And then to take pride and be like, well, I am the the most knowledgeable, the upper echelon, the the perfect palette to decide. I decide who goes who stays. Very uh, Ratatouille, Anton Ego energy where he like was getting off on. On being mean. On being mean. And it's the, I appreciate the other end of that coin so much more. Right. And so, and then the guy she was there with was from the magazine that was like her publisher. Mm -hmm. And he was just a yes man. And she would say something and he would hype her up or he would try to like tack on like he knew what he was talking about. I know too. And it was so cringy. And one of my favorite scenes was they're eating the bread course, which had no bread. It was just accoutrements. And she goes, is this a broken emulsion? Like we shouldn't just be seeing this at this level. And they go, the kitchen comes out with a bowl 
like a giant bowl of broken emulsion and gives it to her. And they're like, here's more broken emulsion. And they do it twice more in the movie. And it's just so funny. It, 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 It was such a good direct spotlight and attack on all of this. And this is the one, like you're literally just nitpicking and picking out flaws and and or things that aren't even issues, but you're just going to get wound up in this. Like, here, we'll overload you with it. Yeah. Oh, man, that character. Well, and then just like you said earlier, like the way she played along for so long. Um, and I guess we can get into this real quick, but and heavy trigger warning for um, unaliving <laughs> or suicide. Yeah. Um, I'm like, I don't know what I can and can't say, but it's a... Yeah, so essentially the fourth course is called The Mess. It's presented by the sous chef. And if you're familiar with restaurant structure, the sous chef is going to be right below the chef. They honestly do a crap ton of work. At least all the sous chefs I've ever worked for, they're working as much, if not more, than the chef Mm -hmm. to get prepped on, to write menus, to do R&D, ordering, scheduling, like all that stuff. They are like very integral running the restaurant and so first they lay a tarp down on the ground and you're kind of like okay something was this is gonna be messy this is gonna be bad (laughs) they start putting like little branches around it and then they have sous chef jeremy step on it and he basically the chef kind of berates him and it's like jeremy he'll never be as good as me yeah he'll never be he wants my life but he'll never be and the the sous chef starts like he his eyes well up and like he was like no chef yes chef like whatever he was told to say doing all the responses that you would in the restaurant as the whole the whole gosh the whole movie where everyone just yeah chef we love you chef yeah um so very intense scene and like honestly i feel like it's very reminiscent of the scene from the bear where um joel McHale's character as the chef is whispering Mm, in um Carmi's ear, ear, just ripping into him. And And it's that very similar, and it's a very visceral feeling of, like, he's he's tearing him down as a person. Right. Well, it tears him down as a person, and then he also gets to the point where he's actually like, do you want my life? Uh Not do you want my job, do you want my life? And then he's crying, he's just like, no, chef. And then they they pull a tarp across the kitchen, and he puts a gun in his mouth. And then he doesn't have his life anymore. And it's just, the scene is so fast and it's so shocking and it's so jarring. And obviously everybody throws their chairs back and they get up and they back up. Yep. But the food critic is like, this is part of the theatrics. Like, don't worry, everybody's fine. And um, the foodie guy is not even paying attention. Like, he's just not involved in this. And I think, like, we talked about this a little bit um, before we started recording about how triggering that scene would be for so many industry people. Yeah. Um, because it's, unfortunately, suicide rates in the restaurant industry are incredibly high. Very high. And it, it just there's a ton of people that are, you get to a point of working so many hours, doing so many things, and you realize that, like, you, that's what your whole life is led up to. And then what do you have? And then it goes into the whole angst of like what's past this pinnacle that we've talked about a couple times and it's real dark real dark and i think the way that they did it was like so masterful mm -hmm. like it's jarring obviously and it's gruesome and like 
I don't ever want to watch anybody die. Like that is not my my mo. (laughs) But I think that it really gives an interesting perspective on we set such high expectations and high standards for ourselves, but we can't ever reach it. And then you fall into this place of like, what? What's the point? That was a whole bunch of the characters in the movie, especially the the, the service staff, the kitchen. There were so many of like the little blips from them and their stories and the the stabbing the chef toward the end. No, we got We have to give that scene its due because the way that the the female staff member handled that part, the whole thing. Oh, so good. So yeah, we're gonna have to do a part two. All right. This movie is just too good. When <laughs> there's so many scenes that I feel like you and I want to unpack still. Sure, we might even watch this movie again before we unpack, do, do the director's cut. But yeah, that was, on that note, we got a, there's a tasting menu to go try. <laughs> Not hungry. <laughs> yeah, chef. <sighs> Thank you for listening to Love, Food, Hate, Money. This podcast is edited by John Watkins of Feathered Fiction Studios. He also does our original music. You can find us on Instagram at lovefoodhatemoney, and you can email us at hello at lovefoodhatemoney.com. We do have merch. We got t-shirts and stickers and posters. So if you want one, uh, reach out. We would love to mail that to you and send us your industry stories and things you want to hear episodes about. And hate mail. And hate mail. Thank you all very much. Bye. Bye. I made a mess. <laughs>